Grace Hill, it's good to be with you this morning. I am really grateful. Uh, I didn't know what Alan was going to say. That's why he did it on a video. Um, so much of what we try to say at Grace Hill is um, things that we've experienced ourselves or read from the Word of God and long for for ourselves. And so deep friendship is one of those things. And um, so super encouraged to hear his words. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I was going to make a, a snide comment, but he would say you're deflecting, and he'd be right. So um, that was kind encouragement. Guys, I'm grateful to be able to be with you this morning. We are going to be preaching. Um, we're going to be uh, in the text of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 primarily. But before you even get there, I kind of want to just kind of set up the reason. You know, you see on the thing it says, this verse changed. And what does changed mean? It means past tense, Right? And so, uh, sorry, Alan, but this is not a verse that has changed my life, but it is in context of changing. So this morning, I was trying to rack my brain for like a life verse. Some of you might have a life verse. You go like, here is my verse, and you can shout it out, or you can memorize it, and you can tell people all the time. And I, I think that's great. But for me, I just realized as I look, and this is one of the things I'm really thankful for, is that the Lord has met me through his word in so many different seasons of my life and so many different parts of the scriptures have met me in places that I, I can't pick just one. And so what I did was I'm taking one that I'm currently in the process of working through and I hope it'll be an encouragement to each of you this morning, wherever you find yourself, because I believe what Paul has to write to the church of Corinth is very applicable to you and to me very much so today. And so I'm looking forward to that. One of the things, I was with a friend the other day, and they were talking about uh, some renovations that were getting done on his house. And he was like, hey, it's hopefully going to just take two months. And all of us who have ever had any sort of kind of work done, especially in this time of life, knows that um, it's probably not going to be two months. And he was like, yeah, it's been way more than two months. And, and I thought about that, and I was like, man, that's so much where I find the Lord, like doing some renovations in my heart through this section of text. And if I'm honest, I'm kind of like, God, I'd love to call in a new contractor to get this work done a little quicker. Because what I've seen is over a long period of my life, my wife, anyone close to me would attest that this is an ongoing renovation work that the Lord is doing in my life. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about weakness. <laughs> Everyone's like, this, this is great. It's going to be a great sermon on weakness. And we don't like weakness, do we? I don't like weakness. In fact, I was like, boy, would love to get something like charge. We're going to get rah-rah. It's like, yes, weakness. And is that something we're like going to be excited about together? Like, hey, we can talk about all our weaknesses. I'm looking at your faces, and I think you're kind of like next. Um, but one of the things I'm hopeful for this morning is that God will actually encourage you as he is slowly me and seeing that his power is made manifest through our weaknesses. That's what Paul's going to say to us today. I was with my kids, and this is a small but funny anecdote, and it's not really entirely what Paul means by weakness, but I, I, I've got a lot of weaknesses, and I'm not going to stand up here and be self-deprecating. I will for a second, but I have a lot of them. But what I was, what I was thinking was, is like, I'm not super handy. I can't do a whole lot. Like, I'm not really a great dude's dude. It's embarrassing to say that. I wish I was. Like, I'm just not. Like, you're like, here's a hammer. I'd be like, cool. Now what? You know? And so my kids actually know this about me now, and it's just a little sad. So I remember one Christmas, my kids got a, a Lego set, 
and they were, they were opening it up, and, and, and a brief context is, is my father-in-law can, like, do everything, and so Stacy and I, like, always are like, something's broken, something's not working, like, a light switch didn't turn on, it's like, okay, call, call Pop-Pop. He can fix everything, and so my kids have been trained and discipled to know that Pop-Pop can fix everything, so Imagine my surprise on a Christmas morning when they're going through their Legos and they're so excited and they, they look at me and I'm like, dude, it's so cool, right? And they're like, yeah. They're like, hey, can we call Pop-Pop? I'm like, dude, I can do Legos, man. I got that. And they're like, and my oldest son, Ezekiel, is probably like, no, dad, you're really slow. But, but, it, was, but it was just funny, right? Because it was like, they know my weakness in that regard. Now, that's a little bit easier, but I think what we're going to see today is the renovations that I think Jesus is trying to do in the church of Corinth that Paul is trying to articulate is some of the very same things he's saying to you and me today and where we find ourselves. I mentioned before, just all seriousness, like I, I don't like weakness. If, I were, if we were to be honest with ourselves, you don't need to raise your hand, but who here is like, I'm cool with weakness. I like it. I think it's great. My guess would be it'd be a very, very small percentage, if not zero. But we live, and one of the things I want to just kind of point out is the pool that we swim in, the pool that we swim in, which is going to be very similar to the one that we see in Corinth, is one where we celebrate accomplishment and merit and, and, and all of these strengths. And I'm not, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying, listen, that's important context for you and me as we look at the text today and we consider weakness and what we're supposed to think about with that. Right, we, 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 we live in an age of resumes, where what do we do with the resume? And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying, what's a resume for? Is to highlight all of your weaknesses? No. You pay lots of money. Some of you do, I know. Some of you pay lots of money. I wish I had had this when I was growing up. But they can get to professional people who say, here's the buzzwords you need. Here's the things you need to pull out. Show how great you are. And I, I just, I've been in the business world, so I remember, and I, I hated it, because I think it's just such a, they're like, name a weakness. And I'm like, do you really want to know my weakness? So we really even come up with, like, like weaknesses that we think, we're, but it's really a strength, right? Like, that's what we do, and we say that. And everybody in HR, you can come, I know there's people in here in HR, but right, like, what we're really looking for is not a weakness, but really, well, it's really a strength. Oh, yeah, oh, good, 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 all right. Because we want to we show our strengths. We live in a social media age where, where we highlight weaknesses. How many posts and feeds and stories do you see where it's like, hey, like just a quick selfie of me and my boss reaming me out for how crappy a report I just did? How many of those have you seen? I haven't seen one. I haven't. I mean, you can talk about jokes, but like legit ones. No, we, we craft moments of spontaneity of like, look at what we did. Look at, look at the accomplishment of this party or this dinner or this place or these people or what I've done or my kids doing, right? We craft accomplishment. And again, listen, I'm not berating those things entirely. I'm just simply saying that's the pool we swim in. And it's much of what we find in the context of the church at Corinth. That's the pool that they've been swimming in too. That's a lot of the context that we're going to see there. And so this is why 2 Corinthians is so powerful. And that's why I want to talk about what the Lord is doing as he's changing my life and working in me. This text has been very, very important and very difficult. So, 
context, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 12, and as you're turning there, we're going to spend a little bit of time in that this morning, but as you do that, I just want to give you just a little bit more context of what's going on. Paul's having to deal, as I said, with a culture that is very similar to ours in many ways. He's having to push back. Now note, he's having to push back, so when you read this letter, we're jumping in really far into a letter that, he, that he's writing, and what he's doing, he's having to push back against followers of Jesus who are despising the very notion of weakness in themselves, much less in their leaders. See, as you look at the book of Corinthians, really both of them, but this one in particular, what we find is an emotional letter from Paul. If you read the whole second Corinthians letter, you're going to find that Paul really kind of goes all over the place. It's really set up in three sections, but this whole letter is just really kind of a roller coaster of him going in and out. The first section, he's, he's really just working on reconciliation with, with the people who are despising him for his weaknesses. They're going to say some things about him that aren't really nice. They're going to go, hey, you don't really look great, literally. His physical appearance, they're going to go like, hey, there's, you're kind of unsightly, number one, and they're going to also go, you don't speak very well in public. And he's going to acknowledge those things. And they're going to, so he's going to like work through that. And he's going to try to say like, hey, I love you. This is some hard things I need to say to you. And then he's going to move to where they're actually going like, we're actually questioning your authority. We're questioning your credentials. Because there's some slick folks here that we like listening to. They're smooth. They're great talkers. They've got credentials. Paul, what are yours? Paul's going to go in and he's going to even boast on some of these things. And he's going to, so, there's a lot in here. He's going all over the place. And then he's going to move to generosity. But, and he hammers in verse, uh, in chapter 12. He's going to sit for a little while in weakness. I can't imagine what it must feel like for someone like Paul who's planted these, this church. And all of a sudden they're now like turning on him and going like, no, we like these guys better because of these things. They're better credential, they're better speakers, this and that. Their power is obvious. Where's yours, Paul? In fact, they even say that they feel betrayed by him. And Paul even says in, in verse 2 of chapter 7, he goes, Would you make room in your hearts for me? For us, we have wronged no one. Like, I, I, like you can imagine that, right? Coming to your family or coming to your place of work or something that you've created in some ways or that you've been significantly a part of, and then all of a sudden they're kind of turning on you because they want something different, and, and you know what they want isn't what's best for them. And can you imagine that? And then, they, then he's like having to say, like, we haven't wronged you. Listen to his words. I, I, we've wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. See, Paul's also having to press against in this letter. And when we get to weakness, this pool that the Corinthians are swimming in is one of religious cults of the time that cater to the worshiper, that cater to you and to me. And it, and it would say that, like, listen, religion is not going to be difficult for you, and, and it's rarely going to require personal sacrifices from you, right? How appealing is that? I'll, most of us would be like, I, I appreciate that. That the end goal of a lot of these occults of the time were to affirm your and my's pursuit of what? Happiness and pleasure. And in fact, salvation, according to many of these cults, was often equated to personal health, happiness, and wealth. Does that sound vastly different from what we see around us today? No. We don't necessarily call them occults, do we? 
But there's many Christian leaders who will call people to these very things, that following Jesus is easy. So with that context today, I want us to read in um, verses uh, 1 through 10. Actually, I want to move back, so if you just look in your book, go to uh, chapter 11, verse 30. We'll start there. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along. With, with that context and with knowing that we're going to look at power and weakness in light of all these things, this is where Paul, we find Paul here now, and he's, he's defending himself now amongst all of these uh, charges that he is not credentialed enough, that his weaknesses disqualify him. So we're going to read from chapter 11, verse 30, through verse 10 of chapter 12. I want to read that so you can follow along. It'll be on the screen, too. Here's Paul's words. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. There's so much in this text. I'm not going to be able to get to what exactly does a thorn mean. I'm not going to be able to get to who is the messenger of Satan. There's so much. But what I am going to speak on is these three questions. What is weakness according to Paul? How should followers of Jesus view weakness in themselves and in others? And then how should followers of Jesus live in light of the weaknesses in ourselves and in light of others as well? What is weakness according to Paul? See, oftentimes I think we can think of weaknesses as proclivities to sin. So like lust, greed, pride, etc. All of those things, right? Like I can think of that. Like that's a weakness of mine. All of those things would be true of me. I am weak in those ways and in some way I've fallen, I have, I have I've indulged in those sins, right? And so in one sense that would certainly be true. Weaknesses can be equated to sin. But is that what Paul means here? 
The word weakness that Paul uses in verses 5 and verse 9 is translated asinia, which means weakness, frailty, illness, suffering, calamity. It's where we get the neuromuscular disease, which some of you may have heard of, myasthenia gravis, which is characterized by weakness of the voluntary muscles. So what Paul has in view, what Paul defines as weakness here is not things that we mess up in or sins that we commit. He's not saying that God's power is made perfect in being lustful or being prideful or something like that. He's not saying that. He's saying that when we are physically, mentally, and spiritually weak, that these are the places, these are the places that Paul has in view of weakness, frailty, sickness, and suffering. That's what the word weakness means here. In fact, he gives you and me some more context in verse 10. So if you look at verse 10 with me in your Bibles, you'll see that he continues to give some more context to this. He says, I'm content with what? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Insults. These hurt. They're often premeditated and precisely aimed at something that's meant to mock or degrade you and me in some way. Insults hurt. Hardships. Any situation that you and I can't control. There's something has happened that has drastically changed or impacted us in a negative way. That's hardship that Paul has in view here. Persecution, the, the words literally translated as persecution, which means treated unjustly. Seeking to live morally committed to the ways of Jesus and then being mistreated or even killed for your faith. That's what persecution is. And calamities, the Greek word here means to find yourself in great difficulty, like constrained is the word used in this. It's like this idea of, of hardship coming in on you and, 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 and limiting your options. You're just kind of, things are closing in on you. So Paul's view here about what weakness is, is it's something that we can't get rid of. Try as though we may, we can't get rid of it. Paul isn't saying not to pray. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that. Clearly, we see he prays three times, but it doesn't get removed. God doesn't do it. A weakness is something that if we could remove it, that we would. We'd avoid it. We would change it somehow. But that's what weakness is described here, something we can't get rid of ourselves. So that's what weakness is according to Paul. So how should followers of Jesus view weakness? How should you and I view weakness? Well, if it's not something we can get rid of, and it's something that we can see in ourselves and in other people's. The first thing that I think Paul is pointing to us in this text is that we should not be surprised by weakness. It's simple. Why are we surprised? I, I'm surprised often at my weaknesses. Why is that? Maybe you are too. But don't be surprised about your weakness and the weaknesses of others. I think we can get so confounded. We live in a culture that gets so angry at other people's weaknesses. I know I do. But where would Paul get this from about not being surprised by weakness? If you look at John 16, verse 33, Jesus' very words to us give us the heads up. In this world, you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, what that means is that we are constantly aware of the pull 
that we will have to view weaknesses from our culture standpoint, from our own heart's dispositions, as something to be avoided at all costs, as, as, as some sort of failure to avoid, right? That shame will keep us and pushing us towards a view of viewing weaknesses, just like the Corinthians were with Paul, is saying, man, that's a sign of failure and a sign of disqualification, that's what we will see. That's what we fight against all the time. In your heart and my heart and in the culture we live in. That is what we are up against all the time when it comes to the view of weakness. The second thing that we should do when we should view this is we should welcome weakness. Ugh, I don't like this one. This is where I'm calling, hey, I would like a new contractor in here. Let's get rid of this one. Let's redo this. I don't want to welcome weakness. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's difficult. Some of you are in the middle of weaknesses, calamities, illnesses right now. And you're like, I don't want this. Please. It's not my words. I believe it's the text saying we should welcome weakness. We see this literally all over the New Testament. There's going to be some verses on the screen. I'm just going to run through them very quickly just because I want you to see the text of the New Testament that points us to this idea that we should welcome weakness in ourselves and others. And by welcome, I don't mean that we don't want to help. I just mean that there we shouldn't be surprised. The first verse you'll see on the screen behind me is Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens, and this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Next, Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness to view weakness as if something strange is happening to you. This is to be avoided. That God can't use it. That God's not at work there. That it's a sign that God's displeased with you. That would be succumbing to the deceitfulness of sin. Ephesians 4.2. Bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? I think that we're welcoming of each other's weaknesses in our own. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And the last verse I just want to point out to you is Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. Whatever grievances you may have against one another, whatever weaknesses that you see in and around you or that others are causing you or that you see manifested in all these different places, bear with one another and forgive them as the Lord forgave you. So how do we view weakness? What would be a biblical view of weaknesses is don't be surprised by it and welcome it. Who's like, this is the best sermon I've ever heard in my life? But it's so good. We're not done. How are we to view, how are we not to view, how are we to now live if we know what weakness is, if we understand what a biblical viewpoint on weakness is, how then should we live in light of weaknesses in ourselves and in other people? Grace Hill, I believe that this is really a battle of worldviews. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 5, and you'll see what I mean. How we should live following Jesus in light of our weaknesses is really a battle for our worldview. To see that power is made manifest in our weaknesses. Romans 8, 5. 
Paul sets out what I believe is the battle for worldviews. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Worldview. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Worldview. For to set the mind on the flesh, one worldview, is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit, the opposing worldview, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, I think Paul's setting up for us in his letter to the Romans that there is a way of seeing the world that shapes how we live and what we believe. See, I said earlier, we're all swimming in the same pool, the culture, the context upon which we find ourselves in. Which one we choose to see the world through will vastly change how we view ourselves, especially as followers of Jesus. If our mind is set on the flesh, man, the flesh says this, and I believe this is what secular humanism, it's just a big term, this is what secular humanism would say. And this is a mind set on the flesh. It says this, you and I would say this, or be tempted with this, I believe that I am capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in a God or God. So that worldview then would presuppose, though they wouldn't say this, but the Bible would point out that Satan is the ruler of the world. That's what we see all over the scriptures. He blinds those still in their sin to believe that they are strong, that they can do this on their own. That is the mind of the flesh who hates weakness. But the mind of the spirit sees the world like this. And just listen to these words. The mind of, set on the spirit, the worldview of the spirit would say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power made perfect in weakness. A Christ-centered worldview would say, therefore then I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me and you. A Christ-centered worldview, one focused on the Spirit would then say, for the sake of Christ, then I am you and me, we would say that we are content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's a Christ-centered worldview. That is strange language. It's strange language, isn't it? Maybe for some of you and me, I've been following Jesus for a long time. That still is, is, is friction in my own head and heart. But it's strange language to a world whose mind is set on the flesh because we just want hardships minimized. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when our view is set to view hardships and calamities and persecutions, 
as signs that God, aren't, God isn't with us or we've done something wrong or they're to be avoided. I think Paul is saying we're missing the very way that God works. That's a tough thing to think through. Sit with that for a second. This week, I was sharing with Stacy, and this is where I was just, this is the renovations that are still going on in my own heart. I had a hard week. There were some things that have been going on for a long time. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but this is something that I said, it's not changed me, it's changing me. There's things that I've been struggling with over and over again. There's situations that continue to come up in certain ways, and I just got to a breaking point this week. Maybe it was last week. I don't remember. Stace would know. But I don't know if it's like you guys. We have three kids, and so sometimes it's really hard to have a moment. So we just made a moment. Well, I, I made a moment. The kids had just gone upstairs for a second, so I just I took the time just to go and share some things that were still hard for me with Stacy and the situation that was going on. And I told her, I was just like, I'm so angry. I'm really angry. I'm really mad at some of these things going on. I don't, I don't like what's going on in me, and I don't like what's happening on the outside. There's some weaknesses in other people and other things that were going on. It's making me so upset. Just being real. And I was like, I'm so tired. And in my tiredness, I was angry and getting bitter again. I remember, like, I hit the coffee table. I was like, I'm so tired. Why won't this just end? God, what is, like, God, you're asleep at the wheel, man. Come on, this is not right. I want hardships minimized in my life and in others because, let's be honest, they affect us too, right? Other people's weaknesses. And Paul responds to this kind of thinking that I had. <laughs> and so these are words to me in my heart, the renovations that's going on. And in one way I had to read it. But Evan, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block for the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Folly to you, Evan, because you're upset that God is not doing what you think he's supposed to do or he's not showing up for you or he's not righting this wrong the way it's supposed to or this hardship that's going on isn't being righted. There's not equity in this thing right now. It's a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. A crucified Christ. Crucified. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How can we be strong? The mindset on the Spirit knows that God views the world very differently than I would. He says things like this, right? The last will be first. To die is gain. Power in weakness. So maybe the question that you're arriving at is the one that I'm wrestling with. So, so okay, Evan, so what's Paul have for us? How do we live? How do we find this power? Is it deferred? What, what, what happens? How does this work? I think Paul's given us some helpful things to look at. I think one, one of the things we can see is we don't act strong. You act strong sometimes when you know you're not. I do. Well, 
We aren't. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's actually going to say, I boast in these things that I'm weak at. Great, so we don't need to act strong. And in fact, following Jesus helps you and me reshape what I said earlier, our entire worldview. When we realize we aren't strong, we recognize the reality once and or not once and for all, but over and over again, that we are completely dependent people. That is a hard thing for you and me. We don't like dependency. I think when Jesus even has his disciples wash each other's feet, it wasn't just so that they would serve someone else. That's part of it. Jesus is pressing something really difficult for the human heart. To receive help receive something. How many of you would be awkwardly uncomfortable in this moment if someone were to turn to you and go, I'm going to wash your feet right now. I, I submit it would be easier for you to wash someone else's feet than to have someone wash your feet. Why? We don't like being in need. It's uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. Paul recognized that the power of Jesus was shown at the cross where the ultimate sign of God's power was made manifest. The power of God would reside with Jesus in the worst and most humiliating of execution. The fact that that is true is proof of the surpassing power of God. And it shows that why none of us can ever attain to that because, listen, we want to be with Jesus on the mountains, but we don't want to go with him to the cross. I want Jesus when it's good, when it benefits me, but I don't want to die. I don't want to live a cruciform type of life. And that right there is the whole point that Paul is pointing at, is the Christ that you live for died for you when you would not. You could not. He bore your weaknesses for you. So we don't act strong. The other thing is we lean into our community. You're like, gosh, here's the... Pastor formation, always going to talk about community. Always going to do it. Always. Always. Straight up. Always. The biggest challenges, I think, of weaknesses that we see here, and the reason why we don't experience sometimes the power of God in the context that we find ourselves in, and listen, I'm not trying to say like, hey, if you do this and you got God on the hook for you, what I'm trying to say is that I think one of the biggest challenges of not experiencing the power of God in our lives is we are so afraid of our weaknesses being exploited by one another. And I'm not saying you don't have good reason but then we look at Paul. We look at Paul looking at Jesus. And he's going, everyone's weak, even if you don't admit it. Everyone needs help, even if you don't admit it. And I think what Paul's saying to the church at Corinth and to you and to me today is that trust can be built. And the first thing you need to do is, 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 is not to run away from it, which is what all of us are predisposed to do. I know, we've seen ourselves, we've been burned ourselves, and we've seen others burned. But I think Paul is a very helpful model for us as we look to Jesus and our weaknesses to experience God's power. Paul went first for the Corinthians. He modeled what it meant to live in light of his weaknesses so that the surpassing greatness of God's power might be shown. He went first and showed, look, this is me. And I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus. I hung with him. I am weak. See, by going first in our communities and leaning into one another, we see that there's hope to actually be honest. 
And that scripture is like the one I read earlier, Hebrews 3 and Galatians 6, that we don't just read them as true, but we experience them as true. When other people go first, they give us courage to share where we are struggling. I don't have time to do this, but Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians all the, the, the gifts of the, the body. That's where, man, because we don't have it all together and God's constructed us in his image to bear different gifts and talents all working together because we don't all have the same strengths, but we all have weaknesses. And so together there's a beautiful mosaic of the body working together. Paul's connecting all of these things together. And so, man, when we look at this, and we recognize that we can go to one another in our weaknesses and leaning into our community, we find that the scriptures really are true. And we find courage. And it paves the way for you and me to trust God the way that Paul does. And the other thing about how do we live this way is is that we recognize encouragement is a daily need. We live with an encouragement deficiency. Fight me on it. We live with an encouragement deficiency. Who do you encourage? Who's encouraging you daily, daily, as the scriptures would say? Who do you know that has weaknesses that you seek to help and lift up and encourage the way Paul is even laying them out and saying, listen, that's where you're going to find God's power residing. Who are you doing that for? Whose weaknesses do you know? And the question I said earlier, who's encouraging you? Who knows your weaknesses? Who have you stopped pretending with? Who have you let in that knows the struggles and issues that are going on inside your head and heart, the circumstances that you find yourself in, illness, calamity, hardship? Who knows them? So as I said last week, some hard things happened and I was caving into these feelings of hurt and bitterness and anger and getting bitter and throwing up my hands at the situation, you know, putting my fist down on the coffee table like I'm just so tired, I'm so angry. And so I'm just putting all of this now into the lens of my story and going, here's the renovations at work. And so here's what happened is Stacy was listening to me. She was being gentle and patient with me in my struggle. She affirmed the hard things that were going on in my life. In tears, she affirmed them. Not just because I was struggling with them, but because they were true and they're hard. But she affirmed them. And then she told me, Evan, you need to forgive. You need to forgive even though you're not being asked for forgiveness. You need to forgive. And she's like, you need God's help in showing grace in this situation, in a situation that she knows has just consistently worn me on out. You been there before? But it's not hard for you to think of a place where that's true in your life or has been true. And as God's word began to lay heavier on me through just having Stacy and some other trusted friends who know some of my proclivities, they know some of the areas that I'm weak and, sh- and these hardships that have gone on, as that started to happen, the word of God, I began to start feeling feeling glimmers of compassion and forgiveness. Guys, that wasn't from me. I didn't have compassion or grace. 
I didn't, to be truth be told, I didn't want it. I wanted justice. That's all I wanted. I wanted it just to be, this was wrong, apologize for it, and let's, let's move on. That's what I wanted. I wanted vengeance, to be honest. So compassion and forgiveness coming in wasn't from me, you guys. God was working in my wife, through my wife, and through the community of people who know me very, very well, people who have not exploited my weaknesses. And because of that, I grow more and more in trusting God through them as they that week encouraged me, shared with me, And because of these things, what Paul's laid out for us and that I began to experience myself, I began to voice my fears. I began to start even more specifically to Stacy, name areas of weakness in my life that I've seen over the course of many, many years. Things I wish God had done and taken away, but he hasn't. I was able to give voice to honest questions like, why, God, are you continuing to let this happen? Why do I keep hitting into this kind of a situation? Why does this happen? And in this place, I recognized God's power in my weakness. Those glimmers of compassion and hope began to enlarge and grow more and more. I was able to feel compassion. I was able to feel graciousness, not just know it. I knew that I needed to be those things, but I could actually feel it. The power of God gave me, literally gave me his compassion and his grace in a way that I finally was paying attention to in a way that I was like, holy cow, this is not from me. God, your power is made perfect in weakness. Ask my wife. Truthfully, I'm very ashamed of what was going on in my heart, and yet God did something very different than what was really going on in my heart. He changed it. He did something different. My mind was caught in the flesh, and he helped me put it on his spirit. He gave me his grace. The power of Christ rests on you and your weakness. Grace Hill, would you pray? I'm just gonna close now, and the band can come up and... Would you pray that God would show himself in your weakness? It's a hard prayer, I know. My hope for you and me is that God's perfect power would be made much of in our places of weakness. And we don't have to pretend. I want to close with this quote It has struck me, I heard it from a friend, another pastor, and never heard it before. It's not a biblical quote, but it is one that I think is chock full of biblical truth. And so I will leave with this as we begin to respond to God. Without your wound, where would your power be? In love service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. What is your view of weakness? What trial, hardship, persecution, illness are you in right now? What questions have you been asking of God in the midst of those things? 
Have you asked him to show up in your weakness or have you asked him simply to just remove it? And I understand. God understands wanting those removed. He says, come to him. Would you share with others what you might be struggling with that they might encourage you? Would there come a place where you and I actually boast, as Paul did, in our weaknesses? Where the manifest power of Jesus Christ is shown. Let's boast in our weaknesses because Jesus is strong. His power is found in our weaknesses. Let's pray. Father, I um, just confess that boasting and weakness is unnatural. And so, Father, I, I pray that where we struggle to find comfort in our own weaknesses, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would gently remind us that we serve a crucified Savior who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, was made into human likeness, bore our sin and our shame, paid the penalty for our sin, bore all of our weaknesses on the cross. He was despised and rejected. And Father, three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering our sin, conquering sin and death and Lord, conquering the attendant pride and shame and all the things that come in our sin-torn lives and hearts, God. And so, Father, to Jesus we look for the strength and the help to boast in our weaknesses that we might find your strength there, God. Lord, I pray for those of us who are just reeling, God, because for so long we've just been trying to keep it all together, that we've been trying to avoid the weaknesses that we find in ourselves or the circumstances that we are in, Lord. Lord, I pray that you might tear down a wall this morning that would allow brothers or sisters to even rejoice in a way that is so deep, God, not out of happiness, but out of deep joy of, Lord, maybe even seeing glimmers of hope of your power at work in their life through a very difficult season or circumstance or trial. Lord, I pray that you would bolster the community of saints here at Grace Hill to be people who lean into each other and are quick to forgive and bear with each other. Don't expect perfection of each other, but encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. Father, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of people as we look to Jesus. Would you mark us in this way, Jesus? We ask all of this in the precious and powerful name of your son, amen.